Did you know that Smarter Parenting provides coaching? We do, and you can find it on the Smarter Parenting website under the Smarter Parenting Club. There we have three different levels. We have a silver, a gold, and a platinum level. Jump over to the Smarter Parenting website if you want to sign up for coaching. We're here to help. This is episode 107. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hello, my friends. How are you? I hope you're doing well. I am doing great. I'm so grateful you're here to join me today because we are continuing the conversation we had last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, the podcast last week talked about how you can help your spouse come along if you are trying to implement something new or behavior uh, skill that you want to implement with your children, things you can consider and things that you can do in order to help them come on board and help you with the overall approach in helping your children improve their behaviors. So this week, the topic continues, but we're going to approach it a little bit differently because of where we are as a nation in the United States, but also the things that are happening right now in the world. This podcast is going to address communication. How do we help our children in their communication pursuits? We are going to be talking about why there's a high emotional response sometimes to things that are going on. And we are going to understand exactly what is happening and why it's so difficult sometimes to communicate about very emotional topics. I'm going to introduce you to Laurel and Lee and their daughter, Aubrey, who's 15, talk to you about some of their communication struggles and issues and ways that they were able to overcome. And then we are going to delve into the skill of effective communication as the tool that helps to break down the difficulties and the emotionality of the conversation so you can actually make headway and create a space of safety where you can talk about the difficult topics. Now, to begin, I want to share with you something that I observed. Over the last week, I have been watching the news, and I watch news from a lot of different channels. And during the news, it's interesting to watch because we have dedicated news channels right now that are set up to provide shows, and they have a lot of talking heads, people who are giving their opinions about the news. And one evening, I decided to evaluate how much of it was actual news and how much of it was programming or people talking about what is going on in the news. What I found is that in reporting the news, I would get maybe one minute out of an hour that actually reported what was going on in the world. And the rest of the time included people talking about what they were going to talk about in the news and then followed up by what people thought about the news that was occurring. And it was interesting because they had multiple people on different sides of the topic arguing over, you know, this is right, this is wrong, this is what I believe. And what I found is they started to talk over each other. There was a lack of decorum between people who were on these shows. And it didn't matter what news channel I watched, I noticed this consistent behavior. Now, it was not helpful for me because I grew up in an era where my parents watched the news 
And the way the news worked was they would turn the news on at 6 o'clock and the news would report until around 6.30 and then the news was over. So they just reported what was happening in the world, stories. There were no opinions and there weren't panels of professionals giving their input and their insight into what's going on. They just had a newscaster read you the news. Then you would go about your day. You would watch a show probably with your family for the evening and that was it. We had newspapers back then as well. You'd get your newspaper, you'd get your daily dose of news, and then you'd be on your way caring about your business and moving forward. So I grew up in an era where that was how we received the information that we got from the news. Today is such a different time. Today, you turn it on, you can consistently hear opinions and insight and people arguing, talking over each other. And that's why I felt like this topic was so needed for this podcast, specifically because we want to help our child learn to listen to people and respect them for their differing views. And we want to prepare our children to address difficult issues with us and with others in the future. What we want to do is create a space in the future for children to be able to work through issues rather than talking over each other to try and get their point across. There's a quote from Stephen Covey. He was a popular speaker. Uh, he wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Fantastic book. But he said this quote. He said, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. When I was watching the news on the various channels, that is exactly what I saw. I saw that each of these people who had opinions had actually dissected sections of what they anticipated they would hear, and then they would respond so they were preparing to respond to the communication, rather engaging with the communication. And of course, in the process of watching all of this unfold on the news, you notice that people were becoming highly emotional. Things ended up being yelling matches between, between people. And I've seen this type of behavior and this type of communication bleed over into social media. What I have been noticing and what I have been receiving from parents uh, who have communicated with me are this difficulty in talking about really difficult topics and that there is a fear for retribution. There's a fear for what may occur. There, there's a fear for the reaction that they may receive for sharing their own thoughts. That's a scary place to be. And in fact, we want to create a world where our children are able to express their opinions and their points of view in a safe way and allow other people to express their points of view and then to work through those things. We don't want things to shut off. On social media, if you are active on social media, I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of people are canceling each other. We have families that are divided over issues that instead of talking about them and working through them, they are just saying, hey, just disconnect from me, unfriend me, don't follow me, I'm blocking you. And that is a dangerous place to be because that does not encourage us to move forward. It doesn't encourage growth. It actually keeps us stuck. So again, during this podcast, these are the things that we'll be talking about. How do we help our child listen to people and respect their differing views? How do we teach them this? And how do we prepare a child to address difficult issues with us and with others in the future? 
Going back to the three things that I definitely want to cover, I need to explain the high emotional responses to difficult topics. I need you to understand what is happening and why there's such emotion behind some of these thoughts and these beliefs and what we can do to counter that. The second thing is I want to introduce you to Laurel Lee and their daughter, Aubrey, as I mentioned before, and we can talk about their difficulty in their communication pattern about difficult topics and how to move forward from there. And then the effective communication as a tool to break down the problems in communication that occur, that constantly occur, and the emotional response that we may receive from other people. So by the end of this, my goal is to help you implement this in yourself, in your communication pattern with other people, your children will notice what you do. And by noticing what you do, they're going to be able to adapt it and adopt it as a way that they are going to talk about difficult issues. So this is a very important topic for parents to be able to embrace and to use. Let's talk about what happens in regards to why people are so emotional about specific topics. First, we have to understand that people, when they are born, they try and make sense of the world around them. Think of a young baby who is recently born as the baby opens its eyes and is looking around the room. Everything is so foreign. And as they go throughout their life and grow, they start to learn from their experiences and from what they've been exposed to. They learn lessons and they make assumptions and definitions about how life works and the way that life works. And so these become so ingrained in us as we get older that we believe our experience is universal and that everybody sees the world the way that we see it. The reality is, is everyone is individual and because experiences are variable, people experience the world in a lot of different ways. And so their perspectives change and the way that other people interact with them, teach them things. And so when you have people with strong opinions about how the world works and their belief systems, it's ingrained in them to believe, hey, this is my truth and it's universal to other people and they should accept it. And other people feel the same way about theirs. And so you can have conversations where you talk about surface things. But as you start to delve deeper into beliefs and values and systems where somebody identifies themselves, that's where it becomes a little trickier to start to talk about difficult topics. So what happens with the emotionality is that when you have two opposing views, it's something called cognitive dissonance. Now, cognitive dissonance in the field of psychology occurs when a person holds contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values, or behaviors that are different than other people. And so dissonance is, if you are familiar with music or art, there is concepts of dissonance, and that actually provides contrast. So a dissonant chord, for example, in music a lot of composers will use it to change the mood of a piece of music. They may make it uncomfortable before there's a resolution at the end. One of the uh, most popular that I know of is for the soundtrack of the musical Phantom of the Opera. So when the Phantom is singing Music of the Night, the very last note that he holds out there are chords playing underneath what he is singing, and they go through a progression that don't sound quite right, like there's something off until the very last chord, the very last notes, and then everything 
make sense. So dissonance is this contrasting idea, sound, this belief, values, behaviors that are contrasting to what we feel is right. And as you can tell, if you have this perspective and you absolutely embrace your perspective and someone presents something else that is different, you're going to challenge it. You're going to struggle with it. You're going to try and adapt to it. In school, for people who study counseling and therapy and psychology, a lot of their training is focused on recognizing this issue of dissonance. So cognitive dissonance, usually a person working with someone else will hear what is happening from a client and it's very different from their own personal experience, but they are taught and trained how to recognize the dissonance and how to work around it and through it without judgment and without pushing their own agenda along. So it's a very common thing, yet that takes time and it takes training in order to do and really a conscious effort. The reason that I'm explaining this to you is because it's important for you to understand that when you confront somebody with a differing point of view, they have a construction of the world that is different than yours and they're bringing it to the table and it challenges you and the emotional response comes because you have a hard time holding on to their view and your view at the same time. So think of any conversation you've had where it's been difficult with somebody else and the emotions have been high. The person on the other end is trying to tell you something from their perspective and their belief system and you have your belief system. And when you try and bring them together, they don't fit. Something's not right. You just don't feel good about it. And so emotionally you respond. You want to protect what you believe to be true because you don't want it to be challenged. You may reject them completely because it's just too much inner turmoil to do the work to try and figure out exactly where they're coming from and what is happening. So cognitive dissonance is something that happens all the time when there are difficult discussions that are being made and when there are multiple questions and topics that are difficult to discuss occur. You need to be aware of the cognitive dissonance when your child comes to you with something that is very different from what you believe. You need to be aware when your spouse or your partner comes to you with a different belief system, like we had mentioned in the previous podcast. They'll come with their belief system and you have yours. And as they present theirs, don't be threatened by it and understand that cognitive dissonance is a good thing. One thing that I encourage all people that I work with to understand is that cognitive dissonance allows growth to happen. It's through the discomfort that we start to challenge things and we find alternative ways of dealing with issues and with problems. So you want to be open to the idea that, hey, this is uncomfortable for me and I don't like this and this doesn't sound right. Something is wrong, but not becoming emotionally invested to the point that you reject the person or their beliefs completely, but that you listen, take the time to step into their space and try and understand where they are coming from. You may assume you know, but if you're able to communicate in a calm, peaceful manner using the steps that we use here on Smarter Parenting and through the Teaching Family Model, you'll find that you can create a space that's in between where you can start to move things around and really delve deeper into deeper issues without turning to yelling, screaming, 
arguing or shutting people out. You're going to create a brand new space where you can bring those two opposing cognitive dissonant ideas and where you can merge them if you want to merge them or you can pick parts out that you feel are helpful or that you can re-examine everything. Now, I know this is difficult for a lot of people to do. For me, training, it took a long time, you know, because we obviously grow up and we believe certain things and we believe them to be a certain way based on our experience and our life and everything that has occurred. We make sense of the world that way. What I'm asking you to do is understand and realize that other people have made sense of the world in their own experience and from their own life and from their own interactions with other people. And so we want to respect that and be able to understand that as we bring these people into a space where we can discuss and move things forward. When it becomes so emotional that you start to shut people out and you close the conversation, that is the most dangerous point because that doesn't allow for growth for anyone. And it actually starts to make things even worse in the long run. So we don't want our children to do that. And we don't want to teach our children to do that either. Okay. Now that we understand that first part, which is why there's such a high emotional response and the inability of people to have the duality of cognitive dissonance, I highly recommend that you practice it and you listen to opposing views, but don't become emotionally invested in them. You just hear them for what they are, understand that's a different perspective, and say, okay, I can hear it and I can disconnect my emotional response to it. And this is super helpful for parents with children who throw tantrums. You don't always want to respond emotionally to everything that's happening with your child when they're behaving in a negative way. In fact, you don't want to react emotionally because sometimes the emotional response is not the best response. So take some time to just step back and look at it the way that it is. One of the suggestions I had from a friend of mine, because this happened, I lived in Argentina for a while, and in dealing with cognitive dissonance and living with, in two cultures, because I came from my own culture, then I lived in Argentina with a different culture, he told me that I should treat things like I'm in a museum. If there's something I didn't understand, I could spend my time looking at it like it was in a museum observe it for what it is and then move on, but I could always go back and revisit it. So that's one way that I can do it. If I hear something that is very counter to my own belief system, I can observe it for what it is. I don't have to jump in there and like play with anything, but I just observe from a distance. I move on and then I can go back and revisit as I gather more information. So that may be a helpful suggestion for you when you're dealing with cognitive dissonance. Okay, so let's talk about Laurel, Lee, and their daughter, Aubrey. So Laurel and Lee had some issues in their communication with how to raise Aubrey. So Laurel and Lee are separated, and they had different consequences for different things. They both wanted to implement consequences, but for Laurel, she wanted to be more consistent and have less severe consequences. And because they were sharing Aubrey and she would stay in both places – there had to be a compromise between the two and communication between Laurel and Lee broke down like they were unable to move forward because Lee was approaching it from this is the way that I want to do it and this is the way that I know it works and I've read a lot of books and this is the way I want to implement consequences and my parenting approach. And Laurel 
came from her perspective. And to make things even more difficult, they were married, but they had difficulties in their marriage. And so there was additional baggage in there. So while I was talking to Laurel, I invited Laurel to invite Lee to our discussion. We talked about cognitive dissonance. We talked about their ability to hold both thoughts in their hands without resulting in emotional responses and for them to weigh out the two and be comfortable in the discomfort. And so we talked about that. We talked about how they could do that. And so we started off with something that was simple. First off, if Aubrey were to not return home on time for curfew, what could they do? So we started to delve deeper into that. And as we started to ask more questions from Lee about his perspective and what he thought and what he felt and from his point of view, we were able to understand better why he felt he wanted to do specific things as far as consequences go. And then Laurel was able to express her point of view and express how she was approaching parenting and what she wanted to do as far as consequences. Now, in their discussion, they disagreed quite heavily. And instead of it focusing on the topics, it turned sometime during their conversation before I started working with them to blaming each other, to other issues like their marriage, to other problems that had occurred. And so we had to narrow it down and say, okay, we are only focused on this issue, only on this issue of what consequence should we give if she returns home that's consistent in both homes so there's consistency in what she is receiving from both parents. And one parent isn't looking worse than another parent. When we were able to cut out all of the other emotional aspects of it and then hold the two differing parenting views together, we came to the conclusion to use a very specific approach to the consequence, which was she would receive a consequence for the next day, whether uh, she could use the car and time spent with friends. It would be reduced. And they were able to agree on that, even though they, they had not previously been able to agree on anything else. And so we started from there. And it went from consequences to rewards to allowance, okay, because Lee felt that Aubrey needed to have an allowance and Laurel thought that it she doesn't deserve allowance because doing things around the house is a natural part of living in the house. So we were able to approach it from that point of view and then create a third space. So instead of having just Lee's perspective and instead of having just Laurel's perspective, we're able to create a new space where they can both meet the needs of their daughter Aubrey in order to teach and help her learn how to be a responsible adult. Now, during this communication, because we had worked through how they could do this, I challenged them to take the next topic up together and to discuss it with Aubrey in the room now that we had practiced how to do it. And this was a helpful exercise because what it taught Aubrey is that you can have people from opposing viewpoints come together and come to conclusions and decisions. They may not agree when they come in, but finding that space where they can communicate about it is essential. And so by them modeling that, Aubrey was able to see that her parents were working together for her benefit, but also she was given an example of how she can communicate about diff difficult topics that she may not agree with. How could she talk to somebody who has a differing view than her? These are the ways that we are going to change the way 
the world interacts with each other. So how do we help our child listen to people and respect differing views? We model it. We use the steps from the skill of effective communication. And this way, we are helping to create a space where communication can grow and where communication can flourish. Now, how do we prepare our child? We prepare them by modeling it. We show them how they can do this. Now, on the third aspect, effective communication as a tool to break down dissonance. So effective communication on the Smarter Parenting website is an amazing skill. And when I was looking through the skill and the steps of the skill, you'll find that as we go through each of the steps, the steps actually help break apart the cognitive dissonance. It actually helps create the third space, that space where you can come together and discuss difficult topics. So I'm going to go through the steps, okay? And then I'm going to give you an example in my conversation with Laurel and Lee. Step one, look at your child who is talking and pay attention to what he or she is saying. Or look at your spouse or your ex or your partner. Look at them and pay attention to what they're saying. Step number two, once the child or the person is finished speaking, Use their words to describe what you understood. Step three, ask your child if what you said is what they meant, and they'll correct you if you were wrong. Step four, in a calm manner, state your thoughts on the subject. Step five, they must repeat what they heard. Affirm they are right or correct them if they're not. So you are going to correct them if... They're saying something that you didn't mean. You're going to say, no, that's not what I meant. And then you're going to repeat what you meant and help them. And then they're going to repeat it back. So there's communication and there's comprehension going on. Step number six, come to a solution. Now, this is to come to a solution if possible. In the case of Laurel and Lee, they were able to come to some conclusions on consequences and rewards. Now, if you cannot come to a conclusion, then you want to repeat these steps, do it again, and then you also want to make use of the decision-making skill using the SOTAS method. So both of these skills are available on the Smarter Parenting website. You can watch a video and it will explain to you how to use these skills and how to do each of the steps. Now, the reason that these steps are so essential in breaking down cognitive dissonance is that they help bring each person in the conversation into that space, that safe area where conversation, where communication and comprehension can occur. If you look at step one, look at your child who is talking or the person, pay attention to what he or she is saying. If anything, that first step brings validation to the other person saying, hey, I'm here listening to you and I'm willing to invest in listening to what you have to say. I'm here. I'm going to give you my undivided attention. Okay, step one, that's an invitation to say, come on, let's, let's get to a place where we can work on this. Step number two, once your child is finished or the person is finished speaking, use their words to describe what you understood. This one is fascinating. If you think about it, using their words to describe what you understand from them helps you move closer to them, but also invites them further down into that place where you can communicate. So it moves you out of dissonance and it brings you together. You're using their words, meaning you have taken the time to try and see it from their perspective. Step number three, 
ask your child if what you said was what they meant, and they'll correct you if you're wrong. So you want to say, "Hey, is that what you meant?" And if you're wrong, they're going to say, "No, that's not what I meant." And then they're going to repeat it, and you're going to repeat it. And what that does is bring you closer. I will tell you that in step three, it is powerful when you're corrected and you're able to do it again, and then bring each other closer because it does create this idea of, "Hey, they really are listening to me. They really are paying attention, and they really want to know what I'm thinking." So again, another step towards that safe space of communicating and comprehension. Then step four, in a calm manner, you're going to state your own thoughts. If you notice in step one, two, and three, you don't even express your thoughts until step number four. So what you're doing is you're helping the other person on the other side come to the space, and then you express your point of view. You want to do so in a calm manner. So express your thoughts on the subject. Step number five: They now must repeat what they heard from you, and you will correct them if they're wrong. So again, building on this mutual, hey, we're listening to each other, we're trying to understand each other's point of views, we're trying to make sense of this. And then step six: Come to a solution. It is far easier to come to a solution if you approach it this way, where you are helping the other side come into the space, and then you are in this space. And you are both there together. You realize we're both on the same side. We're both figuring this out. Let's come to a solution. And if that's still a struggle, then you repeat the steps and continually build that rapport and that trust between each other, and then work on a solution. You can eventually use the decision-making skill, the SOTAS method, in order to reach a conclusion. So those are the steps, and those are ways that we break down the dissonance that occurs, the cognitive dissonance that occurs when two parties are talking about very difficult topics. Now, in the case with Laurel and Lee, we started to talk about deeper issues, which involved money. So money is. One of those things where it can be a very contentious discussion. How much money are you going to give? How much money am I going to put in to this account to help our child and our other children? So we came to this table to discuss this issue, and I laid down the ground rules and I said, "Okay, we're going to use effective communication." Like we have always been using, and we are going to discuss some of the concerns that you had. And so Lee started off. Lee was less skilled in using the skill. However, he was willing to participate in this discussion. And as we discussed what his point of view was, and how he felt, and what he thought, and how much money he felt was allowable for him to both support the family but also survive. This discussion continually worked in their benefit because they were able to take turns and really listen to each other. The conversation went something like this, and I want you to be able to hear it because I think it's important for you to get a sense of what this type of conversation would sound like. So the first step was Laurel would look at Lee and pay attention. That's the very first step, and really just hone in on everything Lee was saying. That's step one. Step two. Lee would express his point of view. He would say things like, "Well, I'm now living in an apartment. You guys have the home. You guys have the car, and I am taking the bus. 
and I am paying some other bills and I need to survive, but I do want to support and help the kids and I do want to help where I can. So, you know, this is my reality is I'm working all the time. I'm living in an apartment. I'm going to be giving you money to help. And I don't know how much you're going to need, but here are my bills and here are here's how much I'm going to spend and here's how much I make. Step number two, after he finished discussing that and explaining everything, then Laurel went back and she actually took notes on what he said and she used his words in order to help him feel like, hey, I'm listening, I get it, and I have heard what you're saying. So she said, okay, so you want to help out the kids, number one, that's something that's important to you. You are living in an apartment, you are taking the bus, and so you have to pay for your utilities as well. Is that right? Now Lee said, yes, that is right. And then Lee said, but you forgot that I'm working a lot. And so Laurel corrected herself, and that's where that happens in step three. Ask the person if what you said is what they meant, and they'll correct you if you're wrong. So then Laurel said, oh, okay. So And also that you are working a lot, and so it's occupying a lot of your time. So after that, Lee nodded his head and said, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. So then Laurel started in, and Laurel then addressed Lee, and Lee was able to pay attention to Laurel the same way that Laurel was paying attention to Lee. And Laurel said, well, I'm working too right now. We have three kids and it's expensive. Uh, they, they need clothing. They need material things. And you make more money than I do. So it's difficult for me to manage the house and also pay for all these things that we need in order to survive. So, so that was step number four. Okay. So in a calm manner, state your thoughts on the subject. That's what Laurel did. And then Lee repeated back, which is step number five. They must repeat what they heard, affirm they are correct, or correct them if they're not. So he repeated back what he heard, and he took notes too. He said, okay, so you're telling me you're working too, the kids have needs, you have a lot of bills, and I make more money than you. Is that correct? It's like, yes, that is correct. Okay, so what is the solution that we're going to come up with? So that's step number six. So now that they were able to communicate in a calm and peaceful manner over a very touchy subject, because money is a t touchy subject for a lot of families, we were able to come to a conclusion of what is equitable to meet both of their needs. So with Lee, he felt like, okay, I understand they're going to need some things. I want them broken down for what they need so I can determine what is really need and what is want. And then have that discussion with Laurel on what exactly we are going to pay for, what we can afford, and what we cannot afford. Now, one of the fascinating things in this discussion was that they started to work towards a solution on their own. And they were being respectful about it, even though there were some hurt feelings from the past. They knew what the rules were by using the skill of effective communication. And so bringing their both different perspectives together and creating a new space where they could discuss difficult issues was exactly where they needed to be in order to help benefit the children. They were able to reach a conclusion on what they agreed were absolutely essentials, what would be nice, and then what were just wants. They made a list of the three different areas. 
listed down, this is exactly things they need. These are things that would be nice and then these are just wants. And then they were able to determine where they can make their budget fit and work with each other to help support their children. This is one example of how you can deal with cognitive dissonance. Before I had arrived to work with them, their inability to communicate actually shut them down. So Lee would just avoid the conversation. He would not enter the room. He would just get angry and they would start arguing. So by setting down the ground rules, using the steps, understanding cognitive dissonance and understanding that it will be uncomfortable, but that's okay. And we're going to work through this because it's more important to work through it. They were able to reach a level of comfort that worked for them and that was powerful for them. So that's an example of how you would use the skill of effective communication to deal with cognitive dissonance. Now, to tie things all back up from what I discussed earlier, how I was watching the news and I saw this argument happening back and forth between panels of professionals and experts and reporters, you know, if people took the time to really communicate this way, and it does take some time and effort, we could avoid a lot of problems. There was one in particular on a news station where I noticed instead of listening and repeating back what they heard, there was just attack. And as soon as someone said something, they had already prepared a response to that. It was almost as if everyone came prepared with their script and then they came prepared to out yell each other, right? Very, very difficult to come to a place where we can reach communication, comprehension, and a level of understanding to move forward. I turned off the TV after a while because I'm like, I don't know what I'm getting here. What I'm getting is angry. I'm getting angry because there's just bickering. There's just fighting. I don't want to watch that. I, I want the news. <laughs> Give me just the news and let me make up my own mind and let me work through it. But to hear people arguing back and forth constantly, then to jump online and see it on social media, you know, boom, boom, boom. There's just not enough listening happening in the world. So we need to take some time to adopt effective communication as a skill that we use with our children and with other people when there are disagreements in the way that we see the world. We need to understand that there is going to be cognitive dissonance between us and someone with an opposing view. We need to understand that it will be uncomfortable to bring in their worldview and put it up next to ours because it may show something very different than what we believe. And yet we need to be comfortable enough to look at them both and make sense of it, make sense of this new perspective that someone else is offering. So very, very important skill. It's a very important skill. I highly recommend that you think of someone in your life that you struggle with. You memorize the steps to effective communication and think of the person that you communicate with that is just constantly struggling and arguing with you. And think of ways that you can communicate with them using these steps to change the conversation and to create that place where you can come together and really communicate well. Now, you may think this is a one-sided thing if I just do it myself. The funny thing is about these skills is that as you do a skill, other people begin to adopt what you're doing. It's very interesting. I've seen it happen a million times. Some people take a little bit longer. 
But if you begin to communicate effectively using these steps, you're going to find that people who are around you, who observe you doing this, start to do it too. They do it sometimes consciously, sometimes they do it unconsciously. But they end up adopting this as a way to communicate with you. And so you want to be able to do this effectively every time. Be able to sit with the discomfort. That's okay. There are different perspectives of the world and how the world works, and that's fine. Don't be so locked down in your perspective that it doesn't allow other people the right and the privilege to see the world the way that they've experienced it. That is a powerful thing for me. As a parent, I've been able to implement this with my own child because the world that she grows up in is very different than mine. And so when she brings something that is completely different, I am not trying to apply everything that I grew up with into her world because the world has changed. So I allow the dissonance to come in. And in our conversations, we are able to work through a different space where I can comprehend her, she can understand me, and there's really a great communication and an understanding between us. It's the difference between the arguing, the yelling, and the constant canceling of each other to a point where we can have difficult discussions about difficult topics and come out on top. Very, very important. So I know this is a lot of information. highly recommend you go back and listen to the previous podcast. This podcast too, it'd be helpful for you to go back and take a listen to it as well so you can understand those concepts of cognitive dissonance, being comfortable in the discomfort of the cognitive dissonance, and then understanding that you can communicate about difficult things. Even if you've talked about them before and it was difficult, you can still go back and talk about those things. Just set some good ground rules and use the steps to effective communication. If you're doing it with a party that is unwilling to do the steps, just you use the steps up front and use them consistently you'll find that they'll start to adopt that way of communicating with you. It's kind of like when you're walking down the street, you'll find that if you are walking at a certain pace, other people tend to copy the pace that you're walking. If you're waving your arms a certain way, they tend to copy the the arm movement to be the same. We want to be in sync with other people. And so this is why if you do it, they'll do it too. They want to be in sync with you. They do want that, even though they may be disagreeing verbally. We all are looking for that connection. So let's teach our children how to do this so we can avoid future problems, not only for their lives and with their spouses and with their children, but for the world as a whole. Let's create children who are able to bring difficult topics to the table and really find the solutions that we need. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Anyways, that's it from me, and I will talk to you again next time. All right, thanks. Bye.